0: Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast where as usual we'll be giving you our thoughts on three areas important topics of the moment in and around the hotel investment space uh, for the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, Andrew Sankster the editorial director of Hotel Analyst is here alongside me Chris Bound the editor of Hotel Analyst and the first thing we've come to think about this week is the whole business of brands. Um, We are told time and again by these different big hotel groups, they need to have another brand because they need to serve another little subsector of the uh, uh, population. Uh, and of course what's going on is they are now playing a bit of a catch up because some of them launched brands just before the pandemic uh, and suddenly we're seeing a kind of flurry of signings, uh, but uh, yet more brands are still on the way it seems. Uh, one of those that got launched uh, sort of, and then was a bit stillborn was uh, Emblems Collection, Which comes from Accor which is them catching up with most of the other big groups and having a collection brand allowing them to sign up independent hotels uh, without those hotels having to adopt rigorous or or restrictive brand standards. Uh, In the UK we've just seen Marriott agree a deal which is going to basically bring its Delta brand into the country in a much more uh, significant way where they're, they're signing away a whole bunch of existing uh, Marriott hotels which are going to be remade in the Delta name. Uh, we've got uh, IHG pushing ahead with Vignette which it's just got going and uh, just signed its first uh, site in Bangkok. And, uh, the, the of course, the um, Unbound collection from Hyatt, who are very busy growing their all-inclusive resorts collection, but they're still pushing on with more uh, collection hotels under the Unbound banner. So more and more, there is is there there is no end to it, is there, Andrew?
1: No, you're right. And I resorted to my um, book of quote, cliches and dragged out Henry Ford. Now, he's reported to have said, and whether he did say this or not is a matter of some debate, but he's reported to have said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Now, this is often used um, as a way to sort of undermine market research, particularly concerning innovation. Um, I think it's misused in this way, because I think when market research is done properly, it does deliver... um, important insights Um, but there is a truth like a lot of these sayings there is a truth within it which is why it's so popular and I, i would suggest that that truth is that customers articulate general desires rather than a fully formed vision um, and we take this into the debate around brands. Um, customers struggle to express what they want specifically in a brand. If you ask them what you need in Hotel Brand X or Y or Z, you'll get a whole series of vague things. Um, but what we can tell is that customers are able to demonstrate brand preference, and they do. And we see this and we can see that brand preference has real value and translates into higher room rates and higher occupancy Um, they make sense Um, now this is a slightly nuanced argument a slightly complex argument but i would argue that the pursuit of this brand preference is what is driving brand proliferation Um, and to reach a deeper and more meaningful connection with customers brand companies are evolving more targeted and focused brands now in your piece Chris you talk about brand confusion Mm -hmm. um, which people often say in terms of all of this proliferation of brands is leading to confusion well actually I think you need brand proliferation to help end this confusion um now this is where it gets complicated because what you're trying to do is you're trying to find brands which consumers particularly connect with and feel reassured by and that's what consumers want they don't particularly want lots and lots of choice but they want to feel reassured that the choice they have made is the right one and you can give them that reassurance if you have a brand that is particularly geared around what they want what we are seeing, as you've just outlined, Chris, is a is a whole uh, push in terms of expansion in terms of the number of brands. So, if we pick on the four biggest global major hotel companies in the West, uh, leaving aside Xinjiang, um, what you know, so this is Marriott, Hilton, IHG, and Accor. It is Accor that has gone um, hardest into this. They've got over forty hotel brands. I counted forty two on its in its most recent corporate presentation on its website, um, dated. July um and they've got over 50 brands if you include the non-hotel stuff Mm -hmm. which is um you know the the food and beverage yeah Yeah. and food and beverage and all that kind of jazz now this contrasts most markedly with IHG which has 17 brands Hmm. and IHG's brands sit in more clearly defined swim uh, swim lanes um, than Accor's. I mean, you know, there's less overlap between all the different uh, IHG brands. Um, but both, I would argue, both Accor and IHG are pursuing, um, you know, the, 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 this this identity, this connection with customers, and both have been significantly growing their brand stable albeit accords much faster and with much more overlap. Now I'm not smart enough to say who's got the right strategy here and I think part of it comes out of the uh, um, you know the the own internal dynamics of these respective organizations. You can see it a bit as well in the North American um, rivals Marriott and Hilton. We've got Marriott at 30 according to its latest annual report and Hilton at 18 brands um, according to its August corporate presentation. Um, Hilton has less overlap and clearer market segmentation but as any um listener or regular listener will know Marriott of course got huge overlap when it acquired Starwood I mean Starwood's brand portfolio already overlapped quite a bit and once it plugged the lot together with the Marriott's it really overlapped um But I think that deal made a lot of sense for Marriott. Um, So we've we've got all of this. So, um, uh, but ultimately it's about creating stronger loyalty and generating higher RevPAR premiums. So far, I would argue, actually this brand proliferation um, is doing that. I have huge doubts about what's going on in you know the mid-sized and below. I think there's a lot of badging going on it's not very effective but I think the the bigger hotel companies are getting smarter and more effective at their branding.
0: Now we're going to take a look at what's going on in the uh, online travel agency area of the market as uh, the different platforms try to work out whether they're in the business of short-term rentals or long-term rentals or perhaps a bit of both. Um, It does seem in the past that uh, you chose to do one or the other and perhaps uh, market yourself specifically as, as doing one or the other, but we've heard from Airbnb for example uh, recent in recent uh, quarterly results presentations how they are moving their platform is, is delivering more and more longer term bookings and longer term reservations uh, from guests and uh, that, that seems to be something that they think is a, is a substantial phenomenon globally. Uh, but meantime there are other platforms coming to the market who look to perhaps be um, coming from the longer term end of the market and working out how they can also then effectively sell shorter term lets too. And uh, one or two of them uh, are perhaps going to be starting to nip at Airbnb's heels or well, that's what they hope. Um, in particular one called Zumpa which has recently uh, won some more funding to support its growth, reckon they're going to be undercutting Airbnb on fees so uh, it could be an interesting little fight coming up. Uh, the kind of the interesting thing here is is what do you market yourself as? Uh, if you're a, a platform providing accommodation are you are going to head for one or the other long or short or are you going to to try effectively and efficiently cover all the bases there seems to be quite a a lot of people out there in this space doing uh, sort of similar things um, even all the way from the uh, kind of the uh, purpose-built rental uh, people who are trying to build platforms to be very flexible in in the way they deliver that as well Uh, so uh, interesting fight on the way i think
1: yeah um, absolutely and I think well, the, one of the challenges the big OTAs face is the this um, proliferation of these smaller competitors coming in there I think that's no you know that, that they are um, cutting into their market share quite a bit and this is a big challenge for the OTAs but um, we've been bearish about the OTAs and we may have given the impression that uh, we think they're doomed. I would very much hesitate to suggest that. Um, If you look at the market cap of the two biggest OTAs that's Booking Holdings and Airbnb they're both around the 80 billion US dollar mark. The market cap of the world's biggest hotelier Marriott is currently around 50 this is as of monday night when we're recording this podcast um so uh, clearly the market believes that there's there's life in the otas yet um but what we can see is that so far in this recovery unlike previous recoveries uh Uh, the big brand hotel companies have done better than the OTAs and they are taking market share relative to the OTAs that certainly um, the OTAs have bounced back they in fact their share prices recovered quicker than most of the hoteliers Um, but in terms of what's going on in terms of that market share piece um, it's much more favorable towards uh, the the, the big brand codes than we've historically seen now I had to listen to a talk um, an interview with um, the CFO of Booking Holdings, David Golden, which he gave earlier um, last week. In fact, um, he gave at uh, um, Evercore ISI, a, a group of uh, internet analysts. Um, this was at a conference in New York, um, and. The thing that struck me in terms of where they're sort of fight back, if you like, the the angle that uh, booking is trying to go for is um, the notion of the connected trip. Mm. Now I think this is a huge challenge Uh, and I'm very skeptical that booking will be able to pull it off, Um, but if they can pull it off and you know they are the biggest high market cap travel company out there uh, alongside Airbnb I would be very concerned if I were a hotel brand company um, and I think this is a very significant threat if if they can manage to do it now the biggest hope about you know what's going to stop this I think is uh, the airlines it's not really hoteliers can do much about that Airbe- um booking has uh, already got uh, you know it's it's hooks into the hotel side of the business but I think the position of the airlines is much more defensible Um, and certainly one of the things I learnt and have learnt in my post-COVID travels, post-COVID lockdown travels, is that you want to be booking with um, an airline directly uh, because they they seem less inclined to um, cancel your flight on you although there's no guarantee but when they do that it's much easier to sort out the almighty mess that they create Um, and if you've got that booked through them um, you know, that that makes it easier. And I suggest actually one of the ways the um, hotel companies can help themselves is actually striking Good marketing alliances with the uh, um, airlines um, and undermining um, what uh, Booking Holdings is trying to do Um, and you know working with airlines has the big advantage from a hotel company perspective um, in that airlines are not looking to become you know a a giant global travel platform Um, they're not looking to sort of they're not the sort of existential threat which uh, booking certainly was at one point um, Um, to hotels um, and and you know hotel companies need to ensure that you know booking never gets anywhere near that again and um, striking a few tactical deals with uh, airline companies will help prevent that I think.
0: Now the third uh, topic we're going to look at this week is uh, some some results from one of the big Chinese hotel groups Wazoo or actually they uh, (laughs) they've been renamed again so uh, they started off as China Lodging They've been Huazhu until recently, and they're now calling themselves H-World Group. Um, but uh, they are effectively a business with a very large and very fast growing uh, super budget and economy business in China. Uh, and also with unlucky timing, just before the pandemic, they acquired Deutsche Hospitality in Europe. Um, But uh, thankfully, Deutsche is now uh, bouncing back along with the German and and most European markets, Um, while the Chinese market is still um, temporarily and frequently throttled by uh, lockdowns from the Chinese authorities as they still struggle to get their heads around how they're going to live with uh, Covid-19. But uh, aside from the frustration evident in the the results uh, numbers from the H-World Group executives, the other interesting thing was that uh, they have now decided they are going to start uh, shifting away from the super budget market in China Uh, and put their growth and effort into somewhere a little bit more mid-market. Of course one of the things that they do is they have got an affiliation uh, deal with Accor uh, where they're growing some of Accor's brands in China on their behalf in a sort of partnership. So they've got plenty to be getting on with but they have decided they're going to get out of the bottom end of the Chinese market um, not least because they see that uh, Chinese consumers are starting to expect a little more Uh, and no longer want to stay in a um, uh, a sort of super budget, super basic hotel which perhaps isn't operating in a very efficient way. The other issue is that they are invested centrally in uh, obviously a loyalty program uh, and much more sophisticated distribution and other internal systems and they believe that those just don't really deliver a decent return are in that that very bottom end of the market so onward and upward for h world group
1: Yeah, I just think that the upward trajectory is significantly less than we were thinking a a decade or two ago. Um, It's very hard to talk about China, the People's Republic of China, without talking about the big headwinds it faces in terms of the geopolitics and the macroeconomics. this is not a binary story of sort of China now going disastrously wrong um, as opposed to it being you know brilliant beforehand but it is a case I think of China slowing down quite significantly and not becoming the the significant force we once thought it was going to be well it is a significant force but not becoming the overwhelming um, force we thought it was going to be in global tourism um so what are we talking about here so we're talking about a um an outbound travel market which is still going to be by far the biggest in the world even what you've talked about there chris is in terms of these in you know these nonsensical covid lockdowns which is doing untold damage to the uh, to the economy in china um you know they will eventually mm. stop and i think they'll stop hopefully sooner than than later and i suspect You know, come the end of the year, we'll pretty much see the end of them, and they'll probably work out a way just to to let uh, COVID rip across the country, pretty much as it has everywhere else. Um, It's challenging because they, you know, they have vaccines that don't work as well as the ones in the West, and there's all sorts of issues with that. But ultimately, I think they will have to find a way to to do that because they they just can't keep locking down because it's having such a huge impact on their economy. Um, You know, in terms of the impacts, what's interesting um you know dorsia hospitality was the big black hole in um uh wazoo now h world's um numbers it's mm. now the other way around that the, the chinese business is the one that's holding everything holding it back um but um i i think we've we've talked about the the the, the challenge in terms of the um the tourism piece but it's still going to be huge in terms of i mean if we go back to 2019 um the outbound uh value of that tourism expenditure from China was um, double that of the US so 254 billion US dollars China 132 billion US dollars the US now that's not going to get quite back to the that leadership position straight away but it will come back quite a bit it's simply the sheer numbers of the Chinese outbound market will deliver that um you know whether they'll get all the way back is a you know i think there's going to be some geopolitics in there maybe china won't want them to keep going out as much as they have historically done and they you know then there is a significant slowdown in the chinese uh, um, wider economy as we've reported on before when we uh, relating in terms of how India now is the growth engine for the world China's much slower and you know we have quite uh, quoted those IMF figures which would show that so you know it's not a collapse in Chinese growth but it's it is half of what they historically have done in terms of double digits they'll be lucky to get five percent a year and what that does mean is that China's probably never going to be the the biggest economy in the world unless something you know, significant changes. Um, so you see people like Capital Economics, uh, uh, an economics consultancy. They forecast that very briefly, China may overtake the US at some time in the 2030s. But it's likely that the other challenges facing the the Chinese um, economy, particularly um, um, demographics, the, the 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 one child policy is going to really damage China um, according to capital economics I think that's right Um, so that's going to impact their growth to to prevent them getting into that position so China seems sort of stuck in that middle income level um, of economy which is going to limit the volumes of people going outbound you know it's a 1.3 billion population so you know it's still going to be a few hundred million um, going outbound who are rich enough to go outbound but not quite as where we were if you had those, you know, ever upwards graphs that we used to have. So I think we've we've seen slowdown there. We've got a slowdown in the property market. Um, so you, you, uh, that is a very very serious issue and it's ongoing. It's it's quite hidden. I think it's very difficult to get sensible, meaningful numbers out of the out of China for that. And I think there's there's a couple of repercussions on that. And you know, again, it's the slowdown in the economy, but also the likelihood of capital been repatriated to um, the PRC from elsewhere in the world. So we've seen this outbound capital um, come into the West. I think it is going to be sucked back out now. And there's going to be a, and, you know, effectively, I think and there'll be a negative flow of capital back to China. Um, and there are ongoing issues with Chinese companies and their listings in the West. So the US is, requiring that um, you know that the accounts are made fully accessible and the PRC regime is resisting that and I think that could lead to a number of uh, companies including h world delisting from u.s markets um and you, you get to the point where you think what why is h world hanging mm-hmm. on we've made this point before why is h world hanging on to what is effectively in deutsche hospitality a regional european hotel company it doesn't make a lot of sense given everything that's going on in china and its need to focus on that market and it was interesting that the ceo uh Jin hui said that um, um, that, you know, the hotel business is very localized and they are switching as a company to having six regional headquarters in China, opening a number of uh, regional headquarters to further service that 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 what's going on in China. So I, I suspect we are going to see um, a conscious uncoupling between the West and the PRC over the next few years. And I hope as, you know, that terminology, conscious uncoupling, it is a sort of peaceful transition but ultimately i think we will see sort of two separate groups e- e- e effectively emerge and it does question i think you know quite what's the presence of western hotel companies in china how meaningful that's going to be i think right now in terms of those net unit growth numbers western hotel companies desperately need china but um i think what's clear is they're not delivering anywhere near the profitability in terms of those you know that they might be getting decent um nug numbers but in terms of actual profitability no it's not and a lot of them are master franchises they won't be very profitable so so we will see western brands in China I think on an ongoing basis but I don't think they'll be doing a lot for western hotel companies so I, I, I think there's a big change underway in terms of where um, you know the whole the Chinese hospitality market sits um, in a in a in a global perspective and
0: now it's time to turn to our five star and no star awards of the week um, Andrew you're going to start with some five stars and A shameless plug well, let's
1: no let's start with let's start with um the uh, no stars actually which is our good yeah. old favorite um britannia hotels now as always i mean that you know they Religiously hold on <laughs> to this position, um, as bottom of the table in the which um, which is a consumer sort of um organization for the UK. Um, their they their listing they come you know they're they're sort of fixed firmly in the bottom. Although which did say they slightly improved, but they're still dismal, so it went from being really dismal to being dismal, <laughs> I guess. Is but yes, they still are very much bottom, um, there. So it's a you know, yet again, a, a no star for dear old Britannia. On, on their ability to uh, upset <laughs> consumers. Um, but the five star, yes, no, well, here we are. Um, in, well, a week tomorrow, actually, uh, we are gonna be hosting uh, the first conference um, we've put on as a as a company for three years. Um, and despite a plague, despite a war, despite the death of our uh, head of state who's been in place for 70 years, we're still on the 20th, uh, Tuesday the 20th of September in the uh, um, Pullman St Pancras, um, we're going to be able to host the operational real estate festival and you can find out all about that um, op-re.com and we'd love to see all the listeners
0: there thank you very much for that shameless plug well yes we'll be there we we'll look forward to seeing as many of you as possible joining us and on that inclusive note we'll say goodbye for now